This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live, still from my house. Uh, I'm excited to be here. We're live this morning. It is the 15th of June. It is actually my wedding anniversary today. My husband and I have been married for 19 years. <laughs> we used to joke because, you know, there's all these statistics out there about um, couples who have a child with special needs, in particular a, ch a child with autism, that uh, there's these quotes about these high rates of divorce. And, and I'm sure that that's true. There's high rates of divorce in any community. And that when you add things that are challenging, you're going to see that people, I'm out of breath. Uh, you're going to see that people have, you know, difficulties with that. Uh, and we used to joke that at some point, somebody was going to find out that we were still married uh, and had a child on the autism spectrum, and that they were just going to come and grant us a divorce and put it on our door and be like, we figured you just didn't get around to this. So um, I want everybody to know that I think more recent studies have shown that it's, it's like a tale of two cities, that people... Um, who lean into each other. And I always think about the, the shapes of the alphabet because we were told when, when we got married that you should be in the shape of an H, that you and your spouse should be standing equally and evenly and holding on. And that when our child was diagnosed with autism, we were told to be an A, that we had to put our heads together and that we would be stronger that way, that we could tough it out together. And, you know, 19 years, uh, we're, we're hoping to get to 20. <laughs> you know, we're, we're hanging on for dear life. And that's really what it becomes about is hanging on for dear life. Uh, but as a friend of mine says when he speaks, uh, he says, you know, you got to have to, you need to know who you want in your lifeboat. And I'm very grateful that I have my husband in my lifeboat because he's a good person to have in your lifeboat. Yeah, I chose well. Uh, so anyway, so it is my anniversary and I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning for this. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for saying happy anniversary. We're going to be live for the next hour. We're going to be talking about topics about autism from a 360 degree perspective. We know that um, this is a big community with a lot of people who have a lot of different 
callings and a lot of different reasons why they're a part of this community. And here at Autism Live, we welcome everyone. So we talk about that larger autism community here. Of course, of course, of course, it starts with people who are on the autism spectrum. We love to hear from those individuals. We love to give those individuals an opportunity to be here on the show and have their message go forward and hear what they have to say. Of course, they are the beating heart of everything that we do here in Autism Live and everything that, you know, my family is a part of. Absolutely. But we also include in that community everyone who loves those individuals, because I think that's a really important distinction. If you have someone that you love or a lot of some ones that you love on the autism spectrum, you have things that you need to know, things that you want to know to help support them to lead their best lives and to support them in having the rights and the dignity and the opportunities and the ability to face their own individual challenges, right? So we include everybody in that community. And I hope that someday we can say that that's the world. Um, that that's where I see is going. Um, and you know, we're not all going to agree on things because how could we, if each individual on the autism spectrum is an individual on the autism spectrum, then there's not going to be a one size fits all. There's not going to be a one size fits most. And if we look at the, you know, including all the individuals who love those individuals, there's no way we're going to get to a, well, it's probably this, right? That's not going to happen. But if we can agree on some things like the rights and the dignity and the, the right to the opportunity for individuals on the spectrum, then I think we have we have a meeting ground in which we can meet. And that's the place that we want to come from. Hey, I'm saying good morning to Wangle and to Christine. Thank you so much for saying happy anniversary to me. Uh, so anyway, we're going to be here for the next hour talking about all of that. And we've got some things that we want to cover, but we also want to be talking with you guys as well. So let's talk about how you can interact with us. We're live right now on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Facebook Live. We're also live on our home website, which is autism-live.com. Now, all of those places, we're live a bunch of other places too, but I bring up those four main sites because there are ways to interact there. I will tell you, if you write into us on YouTube or you write into us on Facebook or on Twitter, we have the ability to see it in real time, um, almost real time. Um, I, I, you know, I think the, the signal has to go up to the satellite, go through some algorithm, and then it spits it out here. But it's fair, fairly quickly. So uh, those are pretty immediate. And I'm all about immediate gratification. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. Um, I will tell you that if you go to autism-live.com, we have a chat um, there at the bottom of the page. It is not an interactive chat. That is always on my Christmas list. But um, it is a one-way chat where you can send me messages. And I'll tell you what that's best for if you're watching us when we're not recorded. That's a great way if you, you know, you can go through our almost 10 years, you guys. We're about to be a 10-year show here. And you can go through all of those videos and you might be looking at something from seven years and go, and go I wish this were live because I would ask them a question. Well, you can, uh, because what you can do is send us the question on the Autism Live chat, because that's available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And and I check those with uh, regularity. And if there's something for some, just make sure that you reference who it is that you're watching. Even if you 
don't see the lower third of who it was, you can say, okay, there's a doctor and he's bald and has a mustache and he's talking about this. And the title of the show is this, then I'll go look it up. I'll be able to see who it is quickly. And then we can get in contact with them and hopefully get you the answers that you need. Okay. Because part of my deal, the reason why I'm here, I have to give this disclaimer. I am not an expert in autism. Uh, but I'm someone who's been covering autism in these formats for, I think we're coming up on the 15 year anniversary of me covering autism in this way. And so while not an expert, I, I think I've come close to interviewing more people about autism than anybody else has. Uh, so I have connections. I have, I have things that I'm like, oh, so-and-so at least knows that person. So use that. I like to be your telephone operator to connect you to the thing that you need without the assumption that it's a one size fits all. Cause we already went over that. It's not. So please utilize us, put me to work for you. Tell me what it is you're looking for and I'll do my level best to find it. Uh, we are extremely short staffed right now because of COVID. Uh, but we're still here. We're still here and we're kicking and I'm here and I'm kicking. And for those of you who don't know, the reason why this is important to me is because my son was diagnosed with autism at two and a half. And I remember what it was like in those days leading up to the diagnosis and the days after the diagnosis before I found our path. And our path was ABA. And we're going to talk about ABA because I know there's a lot of stuff out there right now about ABA. Um, and it's a, it's a subject I'm really, really passionate about. And I have a reason why I'm passionate about it because my son who was diagnosed at two and a half and was considered nonverbal is now 18, working a job, getting ready to start his freshman year at college where he's studying screenwriting. Yeah. Uh, and very verbal, <laughs> very, very verbal. Um, so that's why I'm so in love with good quality ABA, but I think that's a really important distinction to make. So in any case, um, that's why I'm here. I want to help you to get to the answers for what is right for you. Um, and so I do talk about what we did, but I want you to get to what is right for you, but I want you to be informed as you get there and inspired as you get there. That's what we're about here. Okay. So, uh, things that you want to know, I, I don't want to leave without saying that this show is available in podcasts. We talked about the recordings. They're there available to you on many different sites. Of course, you can go to our homepage, autism-live.com. We have more ways to search and find topics there than any place else, but you can also find a lot of stuff. There's the treasure trove of information on YouTube and we are a pot free podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, um, check us out, please review us share us like us we don't spend money on marketing we haven't spent money on marketing um so it's really grassroots if you see something that you like here share it with other people yeah is that a deal okay so because it's thursday we like to kick thursdays off with something we fondly refer to around here as the jargon of the day this is when we take on one word one phrase one acronym we try to make it a little more clear what it is, what in the hey, nani, nani, those experts are talking about, right? So first we give you the actual definition of whatever the term or the phrase or the acronym is. Then I try to make fun of it because, you know, that's part of how I envision my place on this planet, making fun of things that don't make sense. And then we give you a watered down version that often makes the experts break out into hives. That's just an added bonus. But 
what we want to do is leave you with a beginning understanding of what this is and why it might be important to you. I always say, you know, take what you, what works for you, leave the rest, right? Um, but don't feel frustrated if you don't quite get it. It's okay. Um, because these things, they have to marinate a little bit, right? They've got to gestate a little bit. And then eventually one day you'll get it because it'll make sense in your life. And then you go, oh, that's why that term is important. That is when you will turn to the dark side and you will begin to use jargon terms because the whole reason why anyone uses jargon, right, is because it is quicker. It's more precise and it's quicker. I used to be a waitress and we would, you know, instead of saying you have two people sitting over at that table over there, we would say you have a two top in the front bay, right? Um, okay. Uh, so we, we, I'm hearing that we have a little bit of a problem with our jargon. Uh, so I'm not sure what that means, Trayvon, but let, we're going to, we're going to go with this jargon term. We may not be showing you the actual definition, I think is what the deal is, but our term today is mastery. Now here's one of these terms in ABA that can be confusing because your brain goes, well, I think I understand what mastery is. I think I absolutely understand what mastery is. And you think of, you know, like the Olympics are coming up, right? And we think of, you know, these are people who are masters at their craft. They're demonstrating a certain mastery at doing a shot put, right? So I think I understand mastery. And if we're talking about within the realm of ABA, it can get confusing when somebody says to you, well, we want your child to demonstrate mastery. And unless you really understand what they're talking about, you could get confused. So let's break it down a little bit. Let's look at what uh, do we have an actual definition for mastery um, to make fun of? We might not. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to break it down then, Trayvon. And not at the moment. Okay. So let me, we won't even go through what the, the, the you know, stale definition is that's so hard to understand that would hurt our head. But let's talk about what mastery is in terms of ABA. Mastery is a set of criteria that we decide before we begin teaching. This is a really important thing. Before we begin teaching, we're going to decide what it is, what it will look like when the person's really got it really got it. I always think of my fair lady when, uh, when the guy goes by George, I think she's got it. And this is exactly what I was talking about when, when you guys start to understand jargon terms and you might not entirely get it at first, but then there's that moment when it's like, I, by George, I think I've got it right. That's the, what we want for mastery. But think about this because in our lives, mastery is not going to look the same for all things. The example that I like to use is keys and opening locks. That um, if I gave you a key or a set of keys and I said, open this door that is locked, right? Could you take the key, stick it into the keyhole, wiggle it, turn it one way and the other, um, and find the way, every key, every lock is a little bit different. Could you find the way to get the door open? Because, and then, you know, there are some times that you're going to do it, like you might be advanced at keys, right? And be super great at it. And that you can open any, any lock if you've got the right key. You're super duper good at it, right? You do it 100% of the time. We would definitely call that mastery. Well, I would tell you that I'm not as good 
okay, here's, uh, we've got the actual definition, the point at which, I think this is the working definition, the point at which the child is said to have success, successfully acquired the target behavior determined by a previously established criteria. No, that, that is the actual definition. Do you have the watered down one too? Uh, there we go. When the child is independently demonstrating the desired skill of the desired level. Yeah, pretty much what we were just saying. But let's go back to the key analogy. So, you know, you might be great at keys and you can open a door 100% of the time. You're definitely you have key mastery. I would tell you that I'm a 58-year-old woman who, listen, I use keys every day and I, I can open doors, I would say, eight out of 10 times. <laughs> but I don't do it perfectly. It's not my forte. Um, I sometimes have trouble with keys sticking and it might take me three tries before I can get my office door open. And occasionally, like I'm talking once every two months, I have to get the girl at the front desk and come over and go, you know, I'm really this lock. It's just like sticking on me, but you know what? It's not the lock. I'm not the best at keys, but I can do it enough in my life that I think we would still say that I demonstrate key mastery because it's not like every single time I go to unlock a door, I need help with it. So, you know, I don't have to take a class about opening doors and, and using keys. I know the fundamentals of it. I can make it work. So um, it just depends on how important, like if my life and my job depended on me constantly, like I'm, I'm talking every five minutes opening keys, I might ask for somebody to give me some pointers about putting some WD-40 or, you know, something on it that makes it a little bit easier for the locks, right? But most of the time I get it in the first trial and I would say close to... Uh, almost 100% of the time I get it in the first three trials at opening the door. So I probably would, would deem myself to be, I, I've mastered key skills. I don't have to have a remedial class in it, right? But what about when we talk about a child on the autism spectrum crossing the street safely by themselves? Are we okay with that being okay on the first you know, trial only 70% of the time? No. Like that's never going to work. That's not going to be a criteria that's going to be sensible or make sense. So this is why we decide when we, whenever we're going to teach something to somebody um, and we're using the principles of ABA and good quality ABA is the best level of teaching that there is. Everything else aside, ABA is a teaching technique that is based on the idea that if we break things down into small amounts and we reward you for being able to do them, that you will learn faster. And it's been proven to be effective. Okay. That's what ABA is. So if we're going to use the principles of ABA and we're going to decide to teach anything under the sun, let's say that we're going to teach crossing the street, or let's say that we're going to teach the ABCs, or let's say that we're going to teach how to conjugate the verb to see, or let's say that we're going to teach how to uh, have a conversation at a, uh, a, a big, loud cocktail party, right? You can teach absolutely anything using the principles of ABA, but good teaching, good ABA principles say, before we start to teach it, let's be clear about what it is that we're teaching. Like, what an incredible thing to think about. What are we teaching? How will we know that we've taught it effectively? And how will we make sure that this person, <clears throat> this individual of any age, can use this skill wherever they are? 
That's the kind of thinking that you should be thinking about before you teach anybody anything. So when we think about what will it look like when they have the skill, that's mastery. So we're going to set a mastery criteria for ourselves. And we're going to say for this skill, for, for talking, having conversation at a loud cocktail party, it's not life and death that I'd be able to do it with a hundred percent accuracy. So let's say that we'll, we'll say that I can do it in eight out of 10 trials that I can be successful. And let's be clear about what successful is that successful is that I can have a back and forth conversation with six volleys back and forth that I say something, they say something, and we go back and forth six times. Now I can change that criteria to whatever makes sense, but I got to start somewhere. If you don't plan, then you plan to fail, right? So as a teacher, um, we set the mastery criteria. Now, here's the fun part is that we start out and we teach to try to get to the mastery criteria. But when we get there, we have the right to reevaluate. So let's say that we are teaching a child, um, I don't know, how to conjugate the verb to see. And we go through all the good teaching um, uh, principles and we're teaching the child how to do this. And we set the criteria that we want them to be able to do it eight out of 10 times. Uh, we want them to you know, be able to do it in multiple settings with multiple people, right? And we find out that the child can do it eight out of 10 times, but only when we are prompting on the first one. Then we would go back and go, well, that's not going to work because we're not going with them through their life to prompt them on the first one. So we would change the criteria and say eight out of 10 trials, but they have to get the first one on their own, right? So the mastery criteria never drives the bus. It drives the teaching, but there's always room to reevaluate because the goal is to actually teach the skill to the point where the person can do it. And sometimes it isn't until we get there that we go, ah, I'm gonna have to tweak this a little bit. So I'm always wanting people to know that Mastery criteria, essential. You should not be teaching anything without saying, here's what we think success will look like. But you never arrive and go, all right, we're just going to take it. We set the criteria and now it's written in stone and we're not going to change it. You would never do that. You really have to evaluate, you know, and it's so evident when you see this, when you're teaching someone, whether it's a child or an adult, and you say, okay, I want to teach somebody how to crochet. And so what, what is it going to look like when the person can crochet? It's going to look like this. And so, you know, that's what we're going for. But then you get there and you go, "Mm, I left out gauge. And so they can crochet, but it's a hot mess, right? (laughs) Now I need to go back and reteach and, and teach that one little element that, that then I go, ah, by George, I think they've got it. And when they're truly there, we have mastery. Okay. So mastery is important. What are you a master of in your life? I don't know what our question is. So, but let's wait and see what that is. So mastery. Hey, Chimi from Bhutan. That's wonderful. We're so thrilled that you're here. Uh, It's my wedding anniversary, Parker. I've been uh, married for 19 years today. Isn't that fun? That's no small feat. Oh, okay. So I asked, what, what is your mastery? Here's our question. What is your superpower? What do, you, what do you have that you do that is unique and fabulous? What is your superpower? What are you a master at? 
What are, what is your superpower? And sometimes a superpower can be something that you've learned or honed. Sometimes it could be something that's uh, just in you, um, that you found it easier to do. Obviously, I think it's evident to everyone that my superpower is the ability to just talk and talk and talk and talk. Uh, I, apparently I come by this honesty, honestly, uh, my dad used to tell the story. I barely knew my maternal grandmother. Uh, her name was Frida Penrod and, uh, so happy to be able to talk about Frida today, but my dad went off to school and on the first day they asked him, uh, his father had passed away by that time. By the time he was in, it was, there was no kindergarten when my father went to school. It was it started with first grade. Um, but they went around the room and they asked all the other kids, what does your father do? And he couldn't say because his father had passed away. And so they said to him, well, what does your mom do? And he said, my mom is Frida Penrod, the great talker. And so clearly I have my grandmother's genes in running, uh, coursing through my veins. Uh, Sebel, so glad to have you from Maryland and thank you for the happy anniversary. Okay, so that is our question of the day. Can everybody please take a second to write in and share with me what your superpowers are? Nasser, what is your superpower? And hello, how are you? How are things in your corner of the world? Um, but please write in and tell me what your superpowers. You gotta, you gotta name it to claim it, right? Isn't that what Dr. Phil says? Uh, okay, let's take a look at what our topic of the week. This is a short week of production this week, but it's a great one. What is the goal? And I bring this up because we were just talking about the importance of teaching. And whenever we're teaching, we have to be thinking about what is the goal. So. There's an example that I like to talk about that caused great strife in my child's life and in the, the life of someone that I absolutely love and adore. Um, oh, look, Nasser says his superpower is coaching, teaching, training autistic kids. What a great superpower to have, Nasser. That's wonderful. Who else has got a superpower? Write them in now. So Nasser will understand this really well. What is the goal? So here was my son and he was going to school and he was learning a lot of different things. And when you're learning a lot of different things, sometimes it's easy to get confused about what you're teaching when. And this happens to a lot of teachers all the time. Um, and this happens to a lot of parents. For instance, when oh, let's you know, say that you say to your child, uh, they're on a crowded playground and you call your child over and you ask them to come over to you and your child comes over to you immediately. Uh, they've left a preferred activity. They come over to you and, and they get over there and you choose that moment to read them the riot act about something that they've done. Right. The problem is that if the only thing that you're working on is whatever the thing you're reading the riot act, great. But chances are that part of what you're teaching your child is to trust you and to come when you call them, that that's part of a safety issue, right? Um, so when your child comes over to you, instead of reading the riot act, if you're really mindful about what you're teaching your child, you will thank them for coming over to you and give them something meaningful, a hug, a squeeze, a smile, uh, a treat, whatever it is. Uh, and let that moment resonate before you then go into a discussion about, hey, can you do me a favor, do, 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 this instead of the womp, 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 at them, right? What is the goal? So here was my son. He was going to school 
And one of the biggest things we were working on was gaining language. In fact, he belonged to a group that happened at lunchtime. They called it Lunch Bunch. And he would, instead of going to lunch one day a week, he would go to Lunch Bunch. And at Lunch Bunch, he would sit with a bunch of other kids, some of them completely neurotypical, some of them also kids that were on the spectrum that had private speech classes at other time during the week. But this was a time that they would get together to work on what? Social language with who? Peers. So that's the goal. While we're there, we're working on building social language with peers, whatever we can do to build that language. And I loved the speech teacher. She was amazing. And she made it fun for them because they would eat their lunch and they would play games during lunch. And then once lunch was over, then they would play intensive board games. And it was teaching them turn taking. But the focus, the entire class, the purpose of it, the IEP goals for that class was to work on what? social language with peers. So along comes the student teacher and she is now going to take over and, you know, she observed, now she's going to take over. This is somebody who's in training, who, you know, means well, but they're not going to get it. There's not, they're not at mastery yet. They're not going to get it right hundred percent of the time. Right. But we're not throwing out the baby with bathwater. We're going to work with them on it. But anyway, um, they had set up this thing that they were going to play games every time, but she came in that day and she said, okay, today we're not going to play games. And my son said to her, why, why aren't we going to play games today? And she said some half-baked answer that uh, was like, because I said so, or I, because I decided. And my son replied with, well, that's lame and uh, got punished um, for having said that because it was disrespectful. <laughs> and uh, and then he was livid. My child was absolutely livid. It ruined the rest of the day. He got nothing done the rest of the day. He was, he was like, why am I being punished? What did I say that was inappropriate? And why am I being punished? And he was mad. And then it went from bad to worse. They had to call me. I came in. And one of the people that I love the most, who knows that I care about him being respectful to elders, I absolutely do. And if it was a class where we were teaching respect for teachers, yes, pun, you know, I don't punish wouldn't be the thing, but let's have a conversation about it, right? But they had actually taken something away from him. He lost stickers for the day. And I, and they wanted me to support them in that choice. And I said, no, absolutely not. He's, he's absolutely correct. And one person who I love and respect, and I think probably is still mad at me about it, who she was like, I don't understand where you're coming from. And I said, what was the goal? What are we teaching during that time period? What we're teaching during that time period is social skills with peers. He responded in a way that was absolutely appropriate peer to peer. And that the goal that we're teaching is social language with peers, then he got it right. The problem is he didn't acknowledge that this is a person who, you know, we need to speak differently to the teacher, even if a student teacher, than we do from our peers. So that's an opportunity to teach, not an opportunity to punish. So I was like, no, I don't stand by, you know, taking away his stickers because his stickers got him a treat at home and they wanted me to not give him a treat at home. And I was like, no, I'm not, I don't agree with that. And it caused such a riff, but I was upset because I was like, if we remember what is the goal of what we're teaching, um, 
And they were like, well, no, you know, respect is always the thing. Not when you're teaching language. I'm sorry. If we were doing the respect thing, great. Um, So we have to remember what the goal is. What are you trying to teach right now? And sometimes we get into trouble because we're trying to teach too many things at the same time. Are we teaching social language with peers or are we teaching respect to elders? Because for kiddos on the spectrum, we're not always going to be able to teach them all at the same time. And if you want to teach, that's fine. But you can't punish one because... They they were doing the other. You can't do that in my book. Uh, Anyway, Parker says, my superpower is overcoming good uh, overcoming good quality ABA over 20 years ago helped me reach my potential. And I'm still overcoming from not uh, talking till I was six to graduating high school at 17. I'm still having obstacles, but I will overcome them. And Parker, uh, I'm just sending you love. You inspire me so much. And I love hearing that. I want to talk a little bit about this topic in just a few minutes, because you know that with me, it's a very... um, Uh, I'm going to cry. It's a very big deal to me that um, we talk about good quality ABA and the importance of good quality ABA um, and that people be able to distinguish uh, what is good quality ABA and what isn't, right? Um, But you are one of the great examples, Parker, because obviously you are so eloquent, you are so articulate um, to be able to voice this um, and, and, uh, you know, and I want to honor that. Um, and I think it's important that we all honor that, um, that, you know, not being able to voice your feelings, um, at the age of six and now being able to do that now. And I appreciate that it doesn't mean that you don't have challenges, um, that you still have to overcome. And I, and I don't want to in any way negate that because, um, I'm sure that you do. I, I want you to know that um, I don't think that there's a single person on the planet that doesn't have challenges, um, but some challenges are bigger than other challenges. And in my world, the way that I language things in my head, I believe that um, it's the people who overcome the biggest challenges that we need to be watching the most that, it, that you are the inspiration. You are the, the light and the fire that keeps us all moving. Um, and it's no small thing. It's no small thing that you are overcoming and, and doing what you're doing and setting that example for so many people. And when you think about the number of uh, parents of small children who will hear you say that, Parker, and feel a little bit better about their decision to focus on good quality ABA to be able to help their child to be more like you, Parker. And that's the long and the short of it. So I so appreciate you writing that in. Uh, so appreciate you writing that in. So my friends, uh, you know, I said yesterday that we were going to have Bonnie Yates here today and we don't. I misspoke, Um, but I am here with you today and correct me if I'm wrong, Traven, it's time for us to launch a new topic that we have here. Uh, We've been doing something like this from time to time, but every once in a while we want to do a show and give you guys the opportunity to um, ask me whatever it is that you want to ask. So here we, this is the new segment. It's called ask me anything. Uh, And I'm saying hello to Guatam. 
Uh, so thrilled that you are here. I'm great because I'm here with you guys. And it's your opportunity. You know, I love to say here that I'm not an expert, but you know, that I have an informed opinion. And there are a lot of things about my particular story um, and what we did with our son. I'm an open book. Uh, and I've had permission for my son to talk about almost everything that there is to talk about. Uh, but I also have a great respect for the journey that you guys are on and what it is that you're doing. So it's open season. I'm looking for, um, I, I always forget to bring my tissues now and I end up crying on the show all the time. So what have you guys got on your plate right now? What, what would you guys like to talk about? But while you're writing in your questions in whatever format that you're watching us live, I, I do want to visit quality ABA for just a second because I don't want to give too much attention to this, but there is a, there's a group of people right now that are, have, uh, an agenda and, um, and I don't want to make little of that agenda at all, but they are, um, very loudly putting forth a proposal that has the potential to hurt a lot of people. They are saying that out ABA should be considered, um, a negative thing and that it basically should be outlawed and that insurance should stop funding it because ABA is so uh, traumatic and detrimental to individuals on the spectrum. And they list a lot of different reasons why. Um, and I, and like I said, I don't want to get into all of the different reasons because I don't want to belittle how they feel. Um, but what I do want to say, if you're somebody who is looking at this or hearing about this uh, or is interested in writing to them and tell, telling them that you feel differently about it, because that's on my agenda today, to, that I've got a long letter that I want to write to them and say, this is, I honor your feelings, but this is the problem with what I think you're trying to do, is that this would be like me saying, um, and this happens a lot in the world, uh, but, but, you know, if I were to say, well, teaching is bad. And we should outlaw all teaching because all teaching is bad. And let me tell you why teaching is bad. And then I go through and I can pick out, well, I have a friend, Bob, who, you know, in first grade, he was being taught by his teacher and his teacher said something that was wildly inappropriate that we can all agree is wildly inappropriate. And, and I would be like, that's terrible. And we should stop that. But that doesn't mean we stop teaching. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and then I could say, well, and here's another reason why, you know, it's not just Bob, uh, you know, Marcy was in kindergarten, not in kindergarten, she was in fourth grade and she was bullied and the teacher didn't stop it. So see, this is another reason why school and teaching should be outlawed. We should do away with it entirely, right? And you could do that with absolutely anything. You could come up with, a, a, you know, a stack of things that says skiing, Skiing is bad. Do you know how many people have died from skiing and have broken legs? We should stop skiing. Skiing should be outlawed. We should not do skiing anymore. And you know what else? Insurance companies should not cover injuries from skiing because, you know, it's it's to the detriment of people. It's, it's very uh, hard uh, because, like I said, I don't want to belittle the things that have happened with bad ABA ever. I don't ever want to be a part of a group of people who are saying, you know, that anything having to do with that is okay. 
I, I, I'm just not in support of that at all. But I, I do want to be in support of, you know, and part of my mission here and everywhere is to talk about good quality ABA, what that looks like, what it is, what it isn't. And good quality ABA is just a teaching technique. It's a set of tools, a set of tools that say, hey, here's a way of teaching something to somebody. Um, and you can apply this tool in this way and this tool in this way. And you put it together in such a way that you teach somebody. And I'm a former teacher. And, you know, I've been in a lot of classrooms in my life. I have a master's degree. So I, you know, had to go through a certain number. And all the teachers, all the classrooms that I was in, they all had their own flavor, and some of them use certain te te teaching techniques that others did not, right? Or they leaned heavily on this one particular tool. Everybody has their own flavor of teaching. And ABA is like that too. And there are people who are great at ABA. And there are people who are mediocre at it. And there are people who are saying they're doing ABA. They're not. They're not. And one of the things, um, uh, one of the things that bothers me the most uh, in ABA is that when people say that you only get the reward for being able to do the task and otherwise you don't get the reward. And so what that teaches you is to never say no. And that is one of the things that's being alleged in this, uh, this document that's asking to outlaw ABA. Well, here's my problem with that is that that's bad ABA. My son was given the very best level of ABA. And one of the things he was taught through ABA was how and when to say no, when it is appropriate to say no. This goes right back to the what are we teaching? And when I was having the argument with the school about I'm not going to withhold from him something that he did because of something that he said to a teacher, I'm not teaching him that. You know, he should say no to teachers. He should be he should be even rude to teachers if they are doing something that's inappropriate. And frankly, what that teacher said to him, she said, you know, we're doing this because I said so. He asked a question about why are we changing what we've done? She said, because I said so. And he said, well, that's lame. You know what? It is lame. And I'm trying to teach what, you know, when we ask the question, what, what are you teaching? I'm trying to teach my child how to move through the world and, and to take care of himself and to make critical thinking choices that are based on what he believes, not what somebody else has told him to do. I don't want him to be a sheep, a lemming following other people, including teachers, because guess what? There's some bad teachers. So ABA taught him how to say no. ABA taught him how to have boundaries so that he wasn't somebody who, you know, the, the charge that gets made from time to time is that ABA sets kids up to be in this uh, circle of abuse. I, I have to be honest with you. I, I Good quality ABA is the exact opposite, that we know that individuals who have different, who are differently abled are more likely to suffer from bullying or abuse, Right. And uh, ABA, quality ABA, is what is effective at preventing that, at diminishing that, having that be less likely to happen. So that one in particular really makes me mad because I think a lot of people look at that and go, oh, yeah, I can see that. I can see where if you're taught, oh, you only get the reward if you do this, you know, then we can't, you know, we can't set up that circumstance. But you're leaving out teaching someone how to discriminate 
between this circumstance and that circumstance. And that's the very basis of ABA is that it teaches discrimination. So I, I get real heated about this um, because I, I do think that there's a lot of bad ABA out there. And what I would like to do instead of outlawing ABA, I would like for us to get real clear about what good ABA is and then get real solid behind that and have insurance not cover ABA unless it's demonstrating those good qualities of ABA. And I think insurance is moving towards regulating that and it's hard. Uh, it's super hard because they don't understand ABA. And so sometimes they're making missteps as they're doing that. But, you know, that's to be expected. Now, Parker has said with a recent ruling involving the, involving the Judge Rotten, uh, is the, you mean the Judge Rottenberg Center, and then bringing back electric shocks, I'm very, very concerned that they are abusing these kids. I would like to hear your two cents on the shock therapy in the Judge Rottenberg Center. Yeah, I think that the Judge Rottenberg Center is horrible. I think it should be outlawed. I think that that place should be shut down. I would love to call every single parent of every single child that is there and ask them, to please stop doing that. And, and, and I would go a step further that uh, I, I would like for there to be counseling for those parents and for those kids and for the parents to see exactly what they're doing to their kids. I've seen 60 Minutes be there and I've seen what they do. And I think if parents look at that and still are signing their kids up for that, that the state should intervene and seriously look at why that is. Now, in some cases, I think it's that there are kiddos who their behavior is so severe that the parents are so desperate that they don't see any other way, which is why I think there needs to be counseling. I think we need to be compassionate towards the parents and towards the individual. I, I want to say this and I want to be clear about this. I have met parents who feel so pushed up against the wall that they are so in fear for their child's life that their child is going to end up dead or uh, you know something because of their behavior that I think they get upside down in their brain and they think, well, you know, if, if death is the only choice, then I'm willing to try some more extreme things. I think that those people have not been keyed into some of the different interventions. Like I would say to any parent, if you're talking about sending your child to Judge Rottenberg, don't send them to Kennedy Krieger. And I think that we as a society need to work harder, better to create more places, because the truth is there have been many parents that I've said that to send them to Kennedy Krieger, but the waiting list at Kennedy Krieger is two years. And until we as a society are willing to look at places like Kennedy Krieger, Krieger and say, we need more of those and we need to fund it, then parents are going to do things like go to the Judge Rottenberg Center. And, and we need to protect their kids in some cases from them. And for me as a parent to say that, um, that's a lot because there's nothing worse than the fear of having your child taken away from you, right? But no, there's there's nothing about the Judge Rottenberg Center and it is not based in ABA. It is not. Um, and, you know, a ABA says that aversives, good quality modern ABA says aversives don't work. Um, and they're, they, they're not good teaching tools. If they worked, guess what? We'd have no prisons. Um, so no, it is not appropriate. I have nightmares because of some of what I have seen happen at Judge Rottenberg. So, uh, and, and they are rotten. So that's my feeling about that, Parker. I, I, I have a feeling that we're in agreement about that. And I can, this is why I say I want to be so careful about, uh, what I say, because I never, 
want to take away somebody's ability to tell their story. And so for the people that are putting forth this document asking to outlaw ABA and they're listing examples, I know that their examples are true for them. And I don't want to in any way try to take that away from them. They have a right to tell their story. The problem is when you start to say it's all like that uh, and it should be that way for everyone, I understand the motive because if if I had been put in a situation where I had been repeatedly taught that I could not say no, uh, that would be a very scary reality. And I would not want any other child to be taught that. But good quality ABA does not teach that. Good quality ABA teaches a child how and when to effectively say no. And, and you know, the, the way in which you would let someone else know that you had to say no. Do you know what I'm saying? So uh, it all comes down to that for me. So I want to hear from you guys. What are your thoughts about this? Do we have people out there today uh, that are uh, doing good quality ABA? And do you understand the difference between good quality ABA and what the hallmarks of good quality ABA are? Do you find yourself asking yourself, are, are we doing good quality ABA? What are the hallmarks of quality ABA? Is that something you guys are asking yourselves? Uh, or are there, are there people who are watching who said, no, not because, listen, I was one of those people. The, when I first uh, got the diagnosis from the developmental pediatrician. She said to me, don't do ABA. And I was adamant. Uh, she was the one who told me, Oh no, 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 this is like torture and they'll teach your child to be a par parrot. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that then. So, you know, I'm a little bit like an ex smoker that I'm so adamant about it because for a while I said, no, we're not doing ABA. And so when we did do ABA and I saw how quickly he learned and I saw how quickly he had a sense of himself and uh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And it, and it took a long time for us to get to the point where I could have a conversation with my son about it and about what he was experiencing with it. So I had, a, I had people in my head saying things to me that I thought, oh, is he going to be mad at me later on in life? I see all these adults who talk negatively about ABA and their self-esteem. And is he going to be mad at me later on? Is that going to be a thing? But I was like one of those parents that I was desperate and I was like, but it's, he seems like he's okay. Is he going to be mad at me later on? And, you know, uh, when he was able to talk to me about it, we started having conversations about that. And recently we had a conversation uh, about a year ago. Now he was uh, writing an essay and he was saying, you know, one of the things that I'm frustrated with is that they didn't teach me value. Like I was taught a bunch of things, but I wasn't taught what to think about them. And I said, and that makes you mad? And he said, yeah. Like, you know, I, I was, I said this the other day, I was talking, you know, this is a water bottle and this is a phone and this is what a water bottle does. And this is what a phone does. But he said, I wasn't taught that a phone is more valuable than a water bottle. And I said, but to some people it isn't. Like, it depends on the circumstance. Sometimes the water bottle is more important. Like, if you go to somebody in the desert who's starving and there's no cell service and you say to them, would you rather have the bottle of water or the cell phone that doesn't work? They're going to pick the bottle of water. And I said, you know, they didn't teach you that because they wanted you to apply what you knew about it. And I was adamant about that, that I didn't want my child to be in a program where they taught him what to think, that they gave him the information. And he was like, oh, you mean that was deliberate? <laughs> yes, because now your opinions are yours. And he was like, oh, okay. 
not mad, but he was frustrated for him. And he was like, why didn't they just tell me? Why didn't they give me the answers? Is what he wanted to know. Um, and I said, because we, you know, we wanted you to critically think for yourself about what, you know, um, and there were times that they, you know, would ask him the leading question about, so, okay, which do you think is when, when they worked on executive functions, which, you know, which do you think is more valuable? And they would talk about, well, how much did you pay for the bottle of water? How much did you pay for the phone? But is there more value than just what you paid for it? Uh, like he did have all those conversations. So in any case, you guys are really quiet. This is our first attempt at, at you guys uh, asking me anything, and you're not asking me anything. What's up with that? So who's out there who wants to know something? Ask, ask me anything. We don't have to talk about ABA. If you'd love to know, where are you guys on this ABA? And what happens to you should this succeed? And they first outlaw ABA for adults, and then, you know, insurance says, well, we're not going to pay for this for kiddos what would your life look like? And are you okay with that? Is that where, are you guys okay with uh, that? Or do you have something that you would also like to say to this group about ABA? Parker, I feel like you have a voice that really needs to be heard by this group. Oh, Parker asks, what is your secret for 19 years of marriage? Um, you know, that's a very interesting question, Parker. I think... I will tell you honestly that my uh, my marriage works best when we're in crisis. <laughs> you know, when uh, my husband and I laugh about this all the time. If something happens and the poo hits the fan, boy, we are really good at it. Uh, we have a harder time managing when things are just good, uh, and that's that's something that we're working on. But um, part of the reason why we're so good in a crisis was because we had to be. Uh, and we've had more than a couple of crises happen to us over the years. I think like almost any marriage does. Right. And I think that some people in a crisis, uh, they run, you know, from each other. And we, we got in the habit very early on of running to each other and putting our heads together. And we recognize that we are really different people, uh, really different people. And the way we deal with things is really, really different. You know, that I'm, I, I it's, I have so much anxiety. I'm very high strung and I can't just sit. If something's going on, I got to get up and do something. It's, and even, and my mother would always say, you know, do something, even if it's wrong. So, you know, let's say the unthinkable that somebody calls and says that somebody has passed away and I can't even go to where that is to help them to do anything, but I'll get up and do the dishes because it's something, you know, and, and I got to be in action. That's what I learned a long time ago because I'm either in action or paralysis. That's me. Uh, I used to do a talk called The Amazing Paralyzed Woman. Uh, because I can be that person too. And I've learned that's, that's not good. I'd rather be doing something than being par paralyzed. Whereas my, my husband is somebody who, you know, likes to take his time, mull it over, think it over, think through the plan um, and be targeted in what he does. You know what I'm saying? So I'll be running around like a crazy person and he'll be standing still. Now, sometimes that's not great, but a lot of times it works well because we are the yin and the yang together. And, and especially in a crisis, we've discovered that, uh, you know, it's very rare that both of us are like, ah, 
ah, one of us is ah, and the other one's like, no, it's going to be okay. So we really even each other out. But when there is no crisis is when we're like, oh, what do we do? <laughs> we're so used to being in crisis. Uh, and I think that especially being parents and being parents of anyone, you're going to have moments of crisis. Uh, that's just true. Special needs or not. But special needs, I think it's going to happen more often. And here's what I especially want to say. Somebody wrote in once and said, I just hate it when people talk about, you know, how hard it is for couples to stay married when their kid is diagnosed with autism. And they said, I take it personally and it hurts me that, you know, you're saying it's, it's hard because of us. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, is that how you're taking that? That is not what we mean at all. Uh, because if you look at all the studies, it's not the being the parent of the special needs person that is the thing that is the stressor. The stressor is getting them the things that they need, having to fight with the school, having to fight with the insurance company, having to fight with. Now, the reason why we have to fight with them is because we have a child with special needs. But the reason why we want to fight is because we love that child. We're not we're not wishing those children away. We're not blaming the children for these things at all. It's the system that makes it hard. It's the system that kicks you in the gut. It's the system that makes it really hard because the feeling is, here is my beloved child that is, I know, is so worthy of everything in the world. And then on this piece of paper, it says, here is what will help my child. Why is this entity or this person standing between my child of worth and all of this, that's what's hard. That's what's stressful. That's what's overwhelming. That's the thing that tears relationships apart. That's the thing that makes every autism parent slightly, you know, nuts. And that's what's difficult. It's not the kids. The kids are fantastic. It's, it's that we love them and know what at certain point you find out what they need and you want to give it, give it and everybody else is in the way. That's what's super hard. So let's be clear about that. Cause I think, uh, I, I forget to say that all the time. It is, we love our kids. Our kids are amazing. Uh, and even the misguided messed up parents who are sending their kids to the judge Rottenberg center, there is a, the reason why they've sent them there is the hope that their child will be more capable of doing the things that they want to do. It's horrible. It's misguided. I would love to talk to those parents. I would love to sit them down and go, you don't have to do this to your child to help your child. I don't care what people have told you before. You know, I can tell you there's a whole other thing that will help your child, not this. And, and there's no excuse for hurting your child. We don't ever have to hurt a child to help them. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't have a way to speak to those parents yet, but hopefully maybe they'll see this. Uh, yes, you have a question. We have one minute left. So if you have a question, write it in immediately. Uh, let me say this. We are not here tomorrow live. We have a recorded version because guess whose birthday it is tomorrow. It is the fabulous Traven. The reason why we're on when we're on the person who puts the ask me anything up there. Uh, it's his birthday. So we are celebrating his birthday by giving him the day off. 
and it is a much needed day off and he's going to get to go do something fun. We're not going to say what we'll let leave him to tell us on Monday what it is, but on Monday, uh, okay. I'm going to deal with that question in a second. On Monday, we've got an amazing guest who's here with us, who is, uh, uh, an international star. I'm going to uh, let you guys guess, but uh, I hope that you'll be here. She is a, a child star. And she's going to sing for us, uh, a star for children. She performs for children, international star. So she's going to be with us and you will reveal who that is later. Uh, but my questions, my child uh, keeps getting different toys and keeps hitting it together. Why? Because there is some sort of a paycheck from doing that. It might be that they like the, the feel of the percussion. They might like the sound of it. But there's something about that that is pleasing to them. It could be the attention that you give them when they do that. But they are getting a paycheck from it. So work with a professional to figure out what is the paycheck and then give them something else that gives them the same paycheck that doesn't hurt your ears or hurt the toy or whatever. But this banging those toys together is giving them something. And we don't want to just do away with that. We just want to give it to them in a different way. That's good quality ABA. But you've got to figure out what the paycheck is first before, and there are different interventions depending on what the paycheck is. Okay, so uh, either write back to us and, and tell us, you know, spend some time looking at what do you think they're getting from? Like if you give them pots to bang together, do they do the same thing? Or is it only those two toys? Right. Uh, and what happens when they bang the toys? Is somebody clapping? Is somebody saying, stop it? Like, are they getting a lot of attention? You know, those are the things to look out uh, for. Okay. Uh, so everybody wrote in all these questions last minute. Uh, okay. How do we find out more information about the Americans with Disability Act? You can absolutely Google it. Um, and I guess I would ask you, what is it in particular you want to know about ADA? We talk a lot here about IDEA uh, and a little less about ADA, um, but we, we do talk about ADA here. And we've had Tony Quello on the show. And you might want to, uh, go, you know, in our library, look up Tony Quello. He was one of the original writers of ADA. Uh, and look at our interview with him. Um, I think that might be interesting for you. Okay. Uh, they're saying happy birthday to Traven. Wonderful. Uh, I want to teach kids circus skills. What a fabulous thing. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. ADA Americans with Disabilities Act. There's two main Things that we work under, ADA and IDEA, ADA is the American with Disabilities Act, and it goes, it's the reason why we have ramps in front of buildings, and it, it basically says that you can't discriminate against individuals because they're differently abled. IDEA is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which deals with a lot of stuff at school. And so when you have an IEP, that's under IDEA. When you have a 504, that is under ADA. So there's a lot there for you to Google. <laughs> a lot of it's on our channel. Check it out. All right, we have to go. We're going to be back here on Monday. Don't miss it. Special guest. I'm not going to reveal who, but international child uh, star, your kids will love it. Uh, so that will be on Monday and we will have a show, a rerun that will air tomorrow, but we'll be back on Monday until then. Give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.